Hello, everyone. You are listening to episode 301 of the At Percussion podcast. I am your host, Ksenia Komlenovic, and as always, here with my fabulous entourage, Carly Vigna. Hey, Ksenia. Hey, Carly. Good to see you. How are you doing? I see Shenandoah all over social media. Your percussion <laughs> studio is thriving. Trying to get the word out there, yeah. I'll tell you um, how I'm doing is great. Last night, I got to hear the National Symphony Orchestra for um, my first live orchestra concert being in the audience since the pandemic. And it was incredible to hear an orchestra in a concert hall. What did they play? They played um, Brahms Violin Concerto with Hilary Hahn. You know, no big deal. (laughs) It was pretty great. And then uh, Florence Price Symphony Number 3. Oh, was the second half and it was cool there's this cool xylophone solo it was great they played great that's awesome well we are double jealous now you got you got the cool <laughs> gig and you're close to awesome orchestras that you can hear that's great that's great kind of brag a little bit that's good go brag away girl but things are getting back to normal it's good it is a little bit concerts good yeah ben charles what's up hey xenia anything fantastic to report um, I actually have a free weekend for once, which is nice. Oh. It's nice to own my own time. It's so great. <laughs> that's, that's as good as hearing any symphony to me right now. <laughs> a bit of silence is always good. Nice, nice. And then our one and only completely irreplaceable Casey Cangelosi. Oh, thanks. Well, I didn't have a free weekend, nor did I see a symphony, so I'm just in a foul mood now. But um <laughs> I'm looking forward. I'm hoping Evan's mic peaks at some point. So I'll be like, whoa, Evan, what are you doing? Level, 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 your, level your mic. Do you even know what that means? Do you even know what you're doing? Don't give away who our oh. guests are yet. The listeners oh. don't know Evan. Oh, there's, yeah, oh, right, right. Yeah, there's no way yeah. they know. Yeah, you're right. It is, there's no way that they know. Yeah, yeah you're right. right. The, My bad. The name of the show. So we're releasing this episode on October 14. And here's what happened in music history. Not too much. First of all, everything comes back to Stravinsky for me. So um, at 1890, in 1898, he composed his first little Tarantella for piano. He was 16, little boy, and then 15 years later, boom, the Rite of Spring. And you can go and check out that uh, little ditty. Someone supposedly found it and put it on YouTube, this little phrase. It sounds um, very rudimentary, but very Stravinsky. So go check that out. Um, 1952, we have a birthday. Happy birthday, Kaya Sariajo, the famous Finnish composer, the wonderful lady with the fiery hair that has composed everything that will melt your brain as you think about it. Just go check that out or listen to some of her interviews. She's a very, very wise, beautiful person. And lastly, everything also somehow comes back to uh, Bernstein. He passed away on this uh, day in 1990. And I read this little thing in the New York Times, which said two hours before his death from a heart attack at 6.15 p.m. on a Sunday, Bernstein was visited by Bright Shang, a young Chinese composer. When I walked in, Shang says, he was watching a Yo-Yo Ma simulcast, which we assume is like a Zoom concert-ish, something in the 90s, who knows, something like that. Um, they were playing Rachmaninov and he was humming along. He looked himself, was very much himself, and we spoke about many things. He was lucid, even witty. I was happy for him at that moment. And then two hours later, due to many health complications and incessant smoking, and some would say that's love of life and others would argue against, but in any case, 
he um, he passed away. So um, that's it. We we lose some, we win some, and then also Stravinsky composes something on every day, so I can always get away with music history by talking about Stravinsky. So there you go, everybody. That was a little little thing. Um, all right. So now I want to move on to our fabulous guests because. These people today are one of those rare percussionists whose bio is literally three sentences long because they do not need to say anything anymore than that. Um, they're those hardworking and lucky ones who can say that they have worked with the likes of Steve Reich and Joshua Bell and Bang on a Can and the New York Phil, Jack Quartet, Wynton Marsalis, Carnegie Hall, Eastman School of Music and so many other huge names. And the folks that are behind the insanely successful young production company for 10 Media. And our guests are Evan Chapman and Kevin Eichenberg. Welcome to the show. Thanks Hello. for having us. Hey, so great to have you. You guys are just, wow, so much stardust on you. And you shine your stars now on your own. So um, tell us, we want to first learn about how this collaboration started. So you played Dela Cluz a lot in a practice room for each other. And then you were like, hey, screw this, let's just go film something. No, How did that happen? Not quite. We go a little <laughs> bit farther back than Della Clues. So oh, okay. we, uh, we, uh, we're, we've actually been friends since second grade. Um, so we met each other in elementary school and we lived like up the street from each other. I was going to so, say swap out Dela Cruz with like Backstreet Boys. And yeah. That's, that's more the time frame that we met. Yeah. We were more like just picked up drumsticks is when it is when it began. We were oh. playing Louie Louie for the first time. That was <laughs> the first thing I ever learned on drum set. But um, yeah, so it goes, it goes pretty far back. And then we both were percussionists all throughout it. And um, through elementary school, middle school, high school, did all the talent show. We did like double drumming, like talent show things. So we, we, we did a lot of that stuff. And then when, um, I guess uh, I kind of got into filming stuff first in uh, high school because Evan had a very successful YouTube channel that uh, was great and with lots what? of cool covers, drum set covers and stuff. Oh, yes. Okay. Everyone should go bang in the backlog of Evan's Yeah, I, I know. I know what you're talking about. I, <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. <laughs> great. So I, I filmed like a bunch of those with him back in the day and then we kind of both got into it and then I'll tell my half because then our, our paths diverged before joining again. So my half was uh, I ended up um, kind of going the film route and then I actually started at Ithaca College and then I switched because I, I couldn't do both music and film up there. It was just too much because that music program is super intense and the film program is pretty intense there too. So so um, so I transferred out and I went to American University um, for the rest of the time down in DC, um, where it was a bit easier to do both. Um, and so I kind of did both throughout there, but always kind of combining um, the music and film aspects of things. And then after that, um, Evan and I kind of got back together. We were both doing the same thing and we were like, let's just do this together. But I'll let Evan tell his half of the story and then he'll continue it till today. <laughs> Um, yeah, my my entry into film was, I think, a little more like maybe scrappy and DIY than Kevin's. Like Kevin kind of was a fan of movies and actually like, you know, proper filming of things. And for me, it was very much just like like camcorders and skateboards and that kind of stuff. So it was a lot more of just like a, yeah, kind of like scrappy way in. But um, <clears throat> but I think like Kevin got the bug of like 
everything visual in addition to percussion and music and drums because we were already drummers. Um, but then we started to kind of see the possibilities of what would happen when we combined them. Um, so we did some very early collaborations back in like high school of just like basically make that was kind of like the start of the YouTube video song kind of thing. And so we did like a like image and heat, like hide and seek cover together and like just filming, like the main purpose of the collaborations was to make a video. It wasn't to put it on a concert or anything. Um, and so then when Kevin went to Ithaca and then AU, um, I went over to IU um, in Bloomington. Um, and um, yeah, it was pretty much full on percussion. I didn't double major in film in any way, um, but like once I kind of got got past the initial hurdle of like totally overwhelmed by everything music school, um, then I started to kind of like find my footing a little bit and then pick back up a camera, um, like maybe sophomore, late sophomore year, early junior year. And then from then on, it kind of just spiraled into like my friends and the other studio mates and um, other um, colleagues just um, like noticing that I was filming things and just started to ask for that more and more. And so it was like filming recital videos and taking my friends like headshots um, and that kind of stuff. Um, and then kind of rejoining where Kevin um, got to at the end, um, you know, we were both graduated and we're basically just freelancing separately doing really similar things. So filming recitals and live shows and taking pictures of musicians and band shots and that kind of stuff. And after doing that separately, we kind of just like reconnected and we were like, we're doing the exact same thing, um, but in different places. So we might as well just combine forces and make it into a company and be in the same location. And that was kind of the, the birth of 410 was that moment and pretty much have been doing it together ever since. This is rehashing a little bit since the last time Evan was on the podcast, but Evan, last time you said something I thought was like really, really good and interesting. And it's that like as students, we learn pieces and we play it on a jury or maybe a recital. And then that's sort of it. We kind of forget about it. And Evan had like this like idea. It was really interesting of basically like, I, I want some sort of like token, like something I can keep from learning that piece. And you said like, basically, you just started a recording a piece to have like a, a record of it. And like, I remember there's like, I think a recording of you playing Virginia Tate and like, I think one of Casey's pieces. And it's just like, oh yeah, like that's that's what undergrad students should be doing in 2021. Like it shouldn't just be a, a learn a piece and then put it in the, you know, put it in your back pocket and forget about it for until the next time you pull it out. Yeah, both Kevin and I have always like prioritized um, just kind of having the video rep like recording and representation of a piece be just as important as the the premiere itself it, it almost feels like anticlimactic anticlimactic to just like play a piece for an audience and then just kind of like it falls out of your hands and then you don't play it for a couple years or whatever or if ever again and so um i think kevin you filmed your senior recital as well and like that was always just a big part of us even going back to school was like we should film these pieces well because um, that's equally as valid as the the recital or whatever it is itself, um, especially in 20, 2021, it's really important to have that. Yeah, and not to go too far ahead here, but, and then kind of, we just kind of extended that, you know, taking recitals, which is like, you know, it's just the recital, which is fine and that's and that's great. And that's like the baseline and that's kind of where we started. But then we were like, but like, they look, they don't usually look great, you know, cause it's theater lighting, you know? And so it's all just like massive front light and, you know, 
it doesn't look good and you're not performing for the camera you're performing for the audience so you know it's just it's not necessarily and we were both so into like film and stuff so it was pretty natural to this for us to just be like well yeah let's just erase the audience part and just do it for a camera because it can just you know you you can even if you only get 200 views on a video you know sometimes that's more than you get in the recital hall anyway so yeah it's um i think it's cool and worth noting especially to the young listeners that you know on evan's youtube channel like the oldest video back and i know i've referred to evan's channel i mean many many times over the years just to say like hey look where this person started and like you can really watch the progression go from like interest and very clear like heavy interest to professional and it's only 13 years ago like your first video on there evans like you you're like a young kid and you're playing drum set and it's uh it's clear you already know like something what you're doing but i don't know it's just it's funny the the people we talk to like stick with it whether it's being a uh, being so percussion or being third coast percussion we've never talked to third coast percussion on the show but we've we've heard this like it's like it takes like 10 years of like really going at something hard and like continuing to do it because i think a lot of young people would look at um one of your current productions and think like oh yeah there's no way like in hell i could do that it's like right and we don't expect you could do that right now but you could start like imagine in 13 years you could be doing that it's like well you guys are proof it's really inspiring yeah like filmmaking kind of requires practice just like anything does and I, I feel like in like we go through shoots where things don't go well and it's a learning process and it, it almost feels like the same thing of like a hard practice session or something like you're just like well that didn't go how I wanted it to and what can we learn from that and we're always kind of like like debriefing after shoots of like what didn't go well and what went well and you just yeah you have to stick with it and practice it just like anything else you know you've done well on the podcast if people start quoting your sentences back at you or if ben starts remembering things it means it's really impactful or people you know tell you sort of re-narrate your life back at you it means you've done something serious um okay so you've sort of covered uh the next thing that i want to talk about which is what kind of training you have so kevin did actually do film in school and then evan is brilliant and picked up and they they partnered really well. But um, the thing that I think uh, is most important about go going to music school is that you establish a relationship with your mentor. It's not about the person who's gonna tell you, you know, what eighth notes suck and what don't. It's about this person who you can call 10 years later and have a meaningful conversation about your career and so on. So who is that for you as filmmakers? Do you have someone that you go and talk to or is this all intuition plus learning curves? I'm trying to think we have people that we love to work with all the time and we kind of exist in a film world kind of like in a bubble you know because we do you know relatively large productions and that kind of stuff but like they're usually within like our framework so we do have people that we talk with when we have to like go into the actual film world a little bit. And when we're like, oh, right, we need to, like you say things this way, like we missed some of the terminology because we didn't necessarily, I went to film school, but I, I wouldn't say it was the most helpful thing in the world. <laughs> I would say, honestly, the music side of things was uh, more enlightening because it was just more like 
hands off and more like, yeah, dude, that sounds cool. Do it. You know, as mm-hmm. opposed to the other stuff where it was less, it was like the film side of things. It was much more structured, which felt a little strange to me, but um, anyway, what was I saying? Oh, so, so yeah. So I, I don't know if there's necessarily like a film person that like I met like at school or something that I go back to ask things like we kind of both, I feel like grew in our own soil with that didn't have many uh, people that told us like how they do it in the real world, <laughs> I guess is one way to say it. But um, but yeah, we have people that we work with all the time where we're just like, okay, we have this project coming up. First of all, can you come help us with it? Second of all, what should how should we prep for this? Those kinds of things, but yeah. I'm glad you went first because that gave me a second to think this through because it's kind of a tough question. But uh, yeah, I, I second what Kevin said about how like in the film world, I actually feel like it's more like us bouncing off of our peers, like instead of kind of like a hierarchical like mentorship that we've like had with anyone like I I feel like we have people that we work with closely or whose work that we admire that we just are always kind of like pushing each other and like like inspiring each other and asking questions and like we had this really big project come up within the last month and like our first instinct was to call this one person that we just really trust like they're but it's all kind of like our peers it's just people who are figuring out together that said um I think like the the mentorship on the music side, like for me at IU of just like the professors that I had there actually helps 410 a lot too. Like it wasn't a traditional like film, like this, you know, kind of older generation director who we ask everything with, but I feel like the, um, just all of the music related stuff and like sensitivity and working together and like chamber skills and like that all weirdly plays into film a lot actually of like being able to like make these like musically informed plans for films and knowing how to like be in a room with a chamber ensemble like those are all skills that I learned as a musician but then they like translate really actually pretty um, linearly into our film work as well so it's kind of like a weird like yeah I feel like we didn't really like we weren't the descendants of any like film people guiding the way but it's more like we were that for music but then kind of translated it in our own specific way into into video well it makes sense you've studied the thing you're filming Mm -hmm. you know like if you understand music you know what to film when you know exactly yeah Yeah, that's cool so speaking of mentorship i wonder i i imagine one or both of you at some point had some role model in your educational lives saying, you know, you're splitting your, your time between music and film and all of these things. Um, you know, why don't you spend more time in the practice room or why don't you spend more time focusing on, on filmmaking? Um, I guess my question is what's, what's your advice for maybe some of our younger listeners that might have some diverse interests, um, that could work out very, very well as it has for you both. How do we balance these things? correct me if I'm wrong Kevin but when we started like there wasn't really ever like a five or ten or like 15 year plan it was just like something that we cared a lot about and then just started doing without really thinking through like what it was going to mean for us as a career like anything and um I don't know I feel like that's kind of just what like if you're really interested in something just like try to find ways to do it as often as you can I mean for both Kevin and I we were um very much like in the early days especially in undergrad like squeezing in creative projects whenever we could whether it was like 
late at night after a rehearsal where we like stayed longer in the concert hall that we had booked or whatever it was. Um, it was always just like squeezing the time in. Um, and I feel like if you just feel really passionately about something, like we just both love film and music. So then decided to make a company that combines film and music. It's like, um, yeah, I don't know if that was a good, good answer, but yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I feel like for for me, I think I think the one advantage I had, well, there's a couple of advantages, but the one advantage I had with going to American University, since it's not really a, a big program in any way or like a you know a world-renowned program of any kind. Um, not to not to poo-poo AU. I, I enjoyed AU. I'm sorry, AU. But um, but you know, it's not like it's not Peabody, you know. So that was if anything, that actually it's actually kind of helpful because it was pretty like they were very chill with me doing whatever I wanted, you know, as long as it was like, oh, you're progressing, you know, you're not progressing necessarily in like the linear way of like, oh, we're going to get you in an orchestra now, you know, you're not doing anything like that. But, you know, my, my teacher, um, Nobody Metzvoka, who's great, but, and she was just like a rock and marimba player. And I was like, I think I want to do like a Radiohead track on my senior head or my on my senior recital um, and do like some weird experimental film on top. Like it's not hard to play at all. Like I can play it right now without even like practicing it. It's like three notes. And she was like, oh, okay, all right, you know. So, so like that kind of uh, that kind of helped let me do a bit more kind of out there stuff without feeling like I needed to fit into like a studio that was under someone else's tutelage, you know? So that was like a little bit of, a, of an advantage there where I had a little bit more of a, of a loosey goosey kind of, I can do, I can do both of those easier um, if that adds to that answer. You know, when we talk of unconventional or creative career paths like this, uh, it reminds me a long time ago at this point, we had Bill Kahn on, and uh, I asked, like, so when you started Nexus and, you know, you had all these experimental music ideas and all, what would your parents think of it? <laughs> and he said, uh, we didn't really tell our parents was, was his answer. Um, but I think it's like it's a valid concern, like obviously not literally just your parents, but like what what did your parents or people in your life think when you were like, yeah, we're going to like start a media company kind of we're going to focus on like recording contemporary percussion at, at, at first, at least. So what was what was your uh, what was your take on on? people's reaction? Well, our parents have known that we've been best friends since elementary school. So they're like, oh, cool. You're starting a company with your friend. That <laughs> sounds fun. Um, but uh, <laughs> but I, I understand your question. Um, I mean, I think it's just like clear when somebody's like really into something or into like a combination of things. Like, I feel like it's pretty it can be pretty clear when like they just want to eat sleep and breathe that like thing and it's like even if you don't really understand what it is that they're doing or like you don't understand like what a contemporary percussion quartet is in the case of nexus like it's still like i feel like to the people around you who know what you're like when you're like you know fulfilled and inspired and want to do something then it's like i don't really get what you're doing but i feel like it's making you happy and fulfilled so go for it um, I feel like that was kind of our situation as well like I feel like um, you know it's a pretty weird thing to describe like the very specific niche that 410 is and even like the kind of music that square peg is and it's like they're very specific things to describe but I think the people 
around us who have supported us and like my professors and Kevin's professor that he was just talking about, like when they see you really inspired and want to do something, it's like, cool, that seems like it's working for you. So um, do that, I guess. Yeah, we were lucky to have really great parents that were super chill and they were like, oh, you're going to move to Philly and start a company with Evan. All right. You know, so we were like, oh. So yeah, we had done, I actually, for the first year out of college, I filmed, or fact, two years, I filmed weddings. So that was like my first, like at a college gig, which was, uh, which was, which was rough, but um, that was my first one. And then we kind of filtered in some 410 gigs. And then I think it was like 20, late 2015, early 2016 is when we kind of pulled the trigger on 410 as a, as a whole. But yeah, yeah. I think my dad only just like, a year ago, figured out how to concisely say what we do. <laughs> so, I, uh, I would really like to see the uh, the 410 version of a, of a wedding video. <laughs> very yes, dark, just, very gloomy. Everyone's we just filmed this past year. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Quady, who was at Vic Firth, uh, and then uh, uh, Pascal LaBeouf, uh, composer, we just we filmed their weddings. And Molly, Molly. He married Molly Heron, who's also a great composer. Anyway. Oh my God. Okay. So we know how to, when to contact you, you'll give everything, weddings, funerals, everything. <laughs> we don't, we don't usually advertise our, our wedding, our wedding uh, services, but to, to the inner circle. I'd like you know. to record my funeral if that's. Yeah. <laughs> Fantastic. Okay. So if you had to pie chart your activities, how much are you a musician? How much are you a filmmaker right now today, at least? Because I'm sure it's difficult to do that. I think I, I'm definitely farther film, I think, or, or just video side than Evan. I, I would probably say I'm like 85, 15 video to music, honestly, um, at this stage. Every now and then I'll like do a fun thing with some friends, you know, do that kind of a thing. But Mostly, mostly 85, like 15, I'd say. Um, yeah, I mean, it definitely depends just based on the, the stretch of time that we're in. I mean, I feel like overall, maybe it's like, I don't know, 65, 35 or something. Um, I mean, there are definitely stretches that are really heavy, like square peg stretches are really heavy, like my solo work stretches where I, I'm like, definitely like out of 410 land for like a stretch of a couple weeks or something. Um, and then there are definitely times that are vice versa. Um, so it can be a little crazy just balancing and it's, it takes a lot of like deliberate, just planning ahead and um, carving out time. Um, but yeah, definitely. And I feel like things have just gotten completely thrown out of whack, um, obviously because of COVID and um, Square Peg was like, you know, touring and playing and that, um, those plans got shut down as it did for a lot of other people. So recently it's been a ton of 410 work. Square Peg's been um, working on an album and we're definitely playing a little bit, but um, yeah, we're, we haven't done a kind of stretch of shows for, for a little while. So it feels very 410 heavy at the moment, which is great. Um, but um, yeah, it's just a matter of like carving out that time pretty far ahead of time because 410, you know, books, like three to five ish months ahead of time. And so it's like, if we want to do a square peg show, it's gotta be like on the calendar um, a little ways away. Um, so, yeah. So tell us uh, your company, you said it's about 
five, six years old when you decided it was going to be the real deal. And when and how did you get your first high profile gig? Because you have so many amazing names uh, as your clients. Yeah, Kevin and I were chatting about what we thought this uh, might be like the first like kind of official, like, I guess, higher profile thing. I mean, they're we both have an answer and they come at it from different places. I think um, in my mind, the first time that I remember like sitting down with Kevin and like making a storyboard, like a shot list for a video that was under the umbrella of contemporary classical music that was with a client that like people knew was um, so percussion playing um, Bryce Desner's music for wooden strings. Um, which in my mind is just high, it, at the time was like very high profile to me as like one a so fanboy, but also like knowing that Bryce was likely to see it. And he's like a hero of, you know, the national is one of our favorite bands. And, um, and also the fact that it was going to end up on Vic Firth, which I'm not sure if that was the first video that ended up on Vic Firth, but it was one of the first one of the, yeah. One of them. Yeah. And so that just felt like it was a video that actually had like a, a solid landing point that wasn't just like our Facebook pages for our parents, <laughs> our aforementioned parents. Um, but um, yeah, so that one is the one that sticks out for me, um, which was the result of um, honestly just kind of like a long relationship building with um, the guys in So through SOCI through their summer institute. I think so, like for different projects that come up for us, like we always come back to them, like they somehow always come back to so in some way um, they're like the ogs for us yeah they were like really like the first like new group that really like trusted us to um do kind of our style of filmmaking with them um and have like stuck with us ever since um and yeah i feel like a lot of our connections kind of somehow all go back to like meeting so way back when so um yeah they've been they've been great yeah and then kind of right not right after that, but that was like our first, I don't even think I had moved to Philly yet. So that was like our first, we were working on like the, our, just the gear that we both had brought to the table, you know, so we didn't have a ton of, uh, you know, a ton of gear. We didn't have, you know, uh, yeah. So that was like our first kind of thing. And then after we moved to Philly and we were like, okay, here's, you know, 410 headquarters, whatever it was. Um, we did this job for the pig iron theater company here in Philly, which is, um, probably like our first, like produced, like music video, I guess, where it's like, you know, it's, it's not like the piece where we're just watching the piece happen and we light it. Well, it's a, like a narrative element happening to it. Cause they just took this five act absolutely bonkers like abstract theater piece it was amazing contemporaneous was in it troy harian did the soundtrack and then uh the crossing the crossing choir who we work with all the time all the time now was like in it as well the, the temple uh, or the drexel wrestling team was in it was bonkers but we <laughs> did um we did uh like a video for them and that was like our first where we had to rent equipment you know we never rented gear before we didn't know how to set up like a frame with like a, a bounce piece, a piece of fabric to bounce light into like a 12 foot thing. It was in the Naval Yard here in Philly, just like an abandoned, like part of the Naval Yard down there that, that they got for us to do it in there. So it was like a lot of firsts that have now, that now we like are used to using all the time, you know, rental orders for, for lots of things. So that was like our first, I, I guess you could call it high profile kind of thing. Um, like after we got to Philly where, where we had a lot of unknowns begin. 
That sounds really exciting. And I love the stories. Maybe you're going to share some on here, but also everyone can just go and find your other conversations that are on YouTube where you talk about how you went into an abandoned ship without any power and figuring that out and then making a singer learn the the piece backwards so that the the video can unravel in such a way that the the feathers are going upwards and it's just it's just amazing it's so fascinating um but okay so what kind of prep work do you do when you are commissioned you know to to do some work uh, you said you mentioned a storyboard tell us what do we need to know so you don't just show up with cameras and you know how to make people look pretty i mean there there's definitely um like kevin and i just like always do it together. And so there's definitely a shorthand with us where we might not need to prep things that maybe other companies do when they're working with collaborators for the first time or whatever, but um, definitely depends on the concept um, for the piece. And the concept definitely depends on, honestly, like how active the piece is or how much like the piece demands from the visuals, like how fast the edit is or that kind of thing. Um, so there are definitely like, pieces that just lend themselves to a lot more like improvisational filmmaking where we feel comfortable like showing up to a location we know the location is going to be cool and we basically like set up all the parameters so that when we actually get there there's not a ton that we needed to have talked about in terms of like storyboards or shot lists or anything it just feels very natural um, but then there are other pieces, maybe the piece is really long. And so we know we're going to have like a lot of <laughs> ground to cover. And so we really need to think through like how we're going to make it from the beginning to end in an engaging way. Um, or just, yeah, like the complexity of the edit. Um, Kevin mentioned filming um, Pascal LaBeouf's wedding recently. And uh, we've done some collaborations with him, which are always very like active and visually heavy. And there's just tons of cuts and tons of setups. And that kind of stuff needs to be heavily planned out ahead of time. We definitely can't just show up and like assume that we're gonna make a video for a Pascal piece. It's gotta be thought through. Um, but then there are like slower, more like minimalist pieces where we know like we have one dancer in a cool looking space and we can pretty much show up and I think it's gonna be great. <laughs> um, so it depends on the project and the piece. Have you ever had that client like Michael Scott when they filmed the commercial and he's like, all right, I have this thing in mind and it's above and beyond what's possible or even like in good taste, like how much <laughs> we try yeah, and get yeah. all that out of the way as do the wave, as do the wave at the end of the video. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah we, uh, commercial. we try. Um, luckily, we don't have that issue very much. Like usually I feel like people trust us. And then, you know, are like, okay, cool. Like sometimes people will come with us with some ideas and they're not necessarily bad ideas, but it's just like not attainable in the space. You know, you know, it's like, we're gonna do a dinosaur. That's never happened, but like, you know, and it's like, well, I don't know if we can do that, you know? So, um, so we definitely have like some things like that, but usually we just try to take, usually all it is, is it's like, you can see the, the kernel of what they actually want. And then we're kind of like, oh, okay, I see what you want to do here. Um, let's just tweak it in this way. And one, make it either doable, like if we couldn't have done it the other way, or um, or just like have it fit into, because we, you know, Evan and I, kind of, we kind of have an, an aesthetic, 
quote unquote. So, you know, trying to make it fit, you know, how it, into something that inspires us as well. Um, you know, so it's a little bit collaborative in that way, but it's not often we get something where we're just like, oh God, you know, it's like, I'm, yeah, that would be awful. You know, it's not too Was often. Was it Michael Burrett? <laughs> oh no. Michael's no. always great. <laughs> I, one other small piggyback onto that is that I feel like also over the years, um, I think we've just gotten a little more effective at um, like the pre-production process. And also we've been, been through enough projects that we kind of like can really quickly pick up on red flags or anything that like, if somebody like mentions something in passing in a, like a call, um, it's like, I feel like we're pretty in tune with where things might kind of veer off from um, like what's within the scope or whatever. And so I, I feel like we've gotten pretty good at kind of working out those kinks pretty far ahead of time. So there's no crazy surprises when we show up um, at the shoot, like we're all kind of on the same page. I think that might've been kind of like a, a thing that we used to, a trap that we used to fall into when we were first starting out was like assuming a lot of things or like assuming that we were on the same page with people and, or like not having enough pre-production conversations. And so when we showed up to actually do the thing, it was like, or even after, like in the editing process, we show the footage and they didn't, it's like nothing like what they wanted it to be. And um, so we're, we've learned to be a lot more just, you know, collaborative and, um, and we're always like showing footage at the shoots and just making sure that we're very much on the same page. So there's no surprises from, from anybody. Um, yeah. So I listen to a lot of um, music business related podcasts and a lot of them talk about video because you all are the most important way for any musician to talk to their audience. And it turns out that uh, we live in the era of people preferring shitty videos over nice videos, as it seems on social media. Um, so this whole thing of like, oh, we just want vertical videos and we want things that look homemade and look selfie made, which I have a particular distaste for. Um, so what are the pros then of creating such beautiful artwork that you do in a day, you know, when this has to happen so quickly? Yeah. I mean, I feel like a lot of the time, like, like for me, it's two separate things, you know, like, cause Cause there's definitely like part of a social media strategy of just like posting something on your story every day, but it could just be like you in a practice room, you know, or something, you know, or just like a taste where you want it to feel intimate and like homemade and homegrown and just like, you know, not like you put that much effort into it. You know, there's, there's like an intimacy with that, which I get, you know, I get why people like that. Cause it is like a very like intimate feeling thing where you're just like, Oh, I'm just right there with the person. And, but to me, it's very much like separate, camps you know um where what we're usually we're not usually do, doing anything like that and so you know what we usually look at our shoots as a way to really explore you know creatively you know what what we can make with the visuals and with the music and then you know treating it as more like oh this is this video that will have legs but it's not going to be like it's not going to be on the 24-hour cycle you know like stories are you know it's going to mm -hmm. be more like this is this is going to be like a month cycle here where I'm just going to keep hyping this and I'll take, maybe I'll take 30 seconds out of it and put it as my story, you know, so then people's there. So usually you can, I don't really think it's in competition with, with one or the other, you know, I think it's more just like different piles of a social media strategy, I, I guess. I'm like always impressed with like how receptive and patient audiences actually can be even 
considering like how fast paced all of everything has become and it's like TikTok and stories and everything. But then you look at like <clears throat> Billie Eilish is somebody that comes to mind where like a lot of her music videos are just like really slow single takes. I think it was for uh, My Power was just like two minute drone shot of her like just really slow getting closer and closer to her on a mountain and then she has a snake and that's it and like she's like probably the biggest pop star now I mean she's like absolutely crushing it and so I I'm always impressed with um even like pop music videos that are kind of catered towards the exact same people that should be liking TikToks and really fast-paced stuff they actually like can have a patience and um, appreciation for that when when it's well done. Um, so I think that's something we're kind of, we just, yeah, that's kind of more our vibe and more our speed. And I think we just hope that it can still come across to people. Um, there's also um, this uh, company or site called Vivo um, and they have an in-house production team that uh, makes their own performance videos. and. Pretty sure they're always single takes. Um, there's never any cuts. And I think they're pretty much always shot on film too. They're not digital and they're with pop stars. I mean, it's like Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande and like huge names, but they're just like these really slowly evolving single takes of the camera just kind of like wandering around them in a space. And they have like millions of views and it's like everybody loves them. So I, I feel like there's always going to be fans of that no matter what, even though the social like style of video has become so prevalent and fast and whatever. Um, I think there's always going to be the people that like the, the more artful, like slower paced, actually like cinematic filmic kind of um, approach to it. Yeah. It's like a frame of reference, you know, like if somebody's on TikTok, they're not expecting something long, and right. beautiful, you know? So and if you're looking at a story, you're not expecting something, you know, something like that. So I think it's really just like when you're in each app, it just like people are more than willing to sit for, a long Billie Eilish video. We love Billie Eilish in case you hadn't picked up on it, but um, <laughs> yeah, her videos are, are great. Anyway, yeah. It's hip even in like major films right now too, right? I mean, wasn't there that war movie recently? It was like meant to look like one shot for the, yeah, whole, you know, the whole two hours. Yeah, right. Um, and it's so impressive when you do even watch like a short 10 minute sequence where it's very clear they've planned everything out and the the cameraman is following the the actors and it's very clearly one shot and it wasn't an easy shot either um sort of like what's that band they do like the treadmill treadmills okay go oh yeah, yeah yeah right like it's like wow they like practiced that you know i don't know so it's, it seems like that type they did a song. ted talk check that out sometime <laughs> oh, okay i i will well, uh, I said in the chat, I think uh, Billie Eilish should have hired you to do her thing with the LA Phil because that was not when the orchestra was involved. It was very poorly done. I'm really sad to say. I think you would have done a much better job, really. So I did watch it through. I, I yeah, I, the songs are great. I love that album. <laughs> It is great. It is great. And I was really expecting this to be awesome. And then it's one of those where they sort of, you know, film the vibraphone player when he's not playing. And, you know, it's it's one of those where it's like, oh, my God, OK, whoever who directed this. How do you, uh, I'm looking for it. How do you spell Billy Eyelash? I can't find it. Shh, shh, don't say that. Just kidding. Uh, I know. I know who she is. Just kidding. Um, last thing that I wanted to say, this is a, a question, I guess. Uh, has anyone seen the movie Victoria? then if we're talking about single shot movies oh my god okay uh, evan and kevin 
This is a two and a half hour movie shot, a single shot shot three times in Berlin. It's insane. There are people like riding bikes standing on each other's shoulders and nobody dies and they jump over rooftops and they run away from the police and rob a bank and it's insane. It's a crazy movie. Look it up, Victoria, single shot movie. Totally insane. Sounds great. There you go. A little, a little cinematic uh, recommendations. All right, we want to hear what is the one cinematic uh, or video trend that people oh. should abandon in 2021. Sorry, I just looked that up, and it looks like Nils Fromm did the soundtrack, and we're big Nils Fromm fans, so I'm definitely going to watch that. Sorry to interrupt and go back, but oh, I'm glad. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <all right. laughs> go ahead. Tell us what we should abandon in 2021. What are we sick of in videos? I think Kevin and I actually both agree on this one, which is like now that gimbals have become like so affordable, um, they I think they're a very like enticing thing to use. Um, for anyone that doesn't know what a gimbal is, it's basically just like a motorized um, like stabilizer for a camera. Um, and so no matter what your hand's doing, the, the camera will stay um, pretty secure. Um, and I think they, we use them often, um, I, but I think they just have a, a time and place. Um, and I, I think there's definitely a trend with like, just, you know, influencers and content people on Instagram, where it's just the, the phone or the camera is just kind of floating all over the place um, and sort of like movement for movement's sake. Um, and just kind of coming from our, Kevin and my like taste in movies we like a lot of like intentionality and very like deliberate camera moves and um and so when it just kind of feels like aimless wandering um that's when we start to get pretty turned off and i feel like with the uh, with just how ubiquitous gimbals have become um it just it feels very tempting for everybody to just be moving the camera every direction all the time um so that's yeah i think i wouldn't mind seeing that trend leave <laughs> yeah we were on the same page there you guys also seem to me like you pick cool stuff to create. I mean, I mean, it's, um, you know, you don't say, what am I trying to say? Like, like there's, there's everything I've seen of yours. It's, it's of course really well done, but it's also just really good. You know, like you guys are in high enough demand that you, you get to pick really, really cool things to, to film. We're, we're very lucky that way, but also very lucky that we just don't, we don't really say no to that many jobs. You know, it's, it's not like, uh, you know, it's not like we like choice pick, like the ones that we really want to do. Um, most of the stuff that just comes in is like, that'd be awesome. You know? So, so we get pretty lucky without having to be like, Ooh, no, you know, I, I don't know if this is right for us. I mean, every now and then, you know, that kind of thing happens or if there's just scheduling conflicts and stuff, but a lot of time we're just like, we just get really lucky where uh, really cool people come to us. But you must've done something really right to attract the cool people, you know? Yeah. I was going to say maybe like, because we're both in music like circles to begin with, like we both went to music school. I feel like we kind of started out already having sifted through a lot of like, if you just start a video pr production company that will shoot anything like weddings and commercials. And like, then I feel like you might have to pick the things a little bit more, but because Kevin and I are just like our circles are like new music performers and like interesting artistic people. It, I feel like it already kind of, helps focus the people who come to us for projects already just having been to music school and made those kinds of connections yeah right. like you have the interest funneled from the very beginning 
For exactly. sure. And also like, you know, we kind of had mentioned this already and it feels like a place to say it again. I, there is no way that we would um, uh, get the people that we're able to get unless we were musicians. Um, so, you know, for even for people now who are, who are, you know, trying to start it out now, like it has been an indelible asset. Like, it, like there's been many, many times where, you know, people, have a schedule and a lot of the times with like some of our other film friends you know it's uh that whole machine is a machine you know and so if it's like okay we have a shoot and it's this week to this week if you can't make it we're going to the next rolodex but as you know down the rolodex but as musicians as musicians you know there's not as many of us doing the things that we do and so we get we get very lucky that if we do get like overbooked in like november or something a lot of the times we can be like, hey, like we're full up here, but can you wait another month and do it in December? And a lot of the times they'll be like, yeah, <laughs> you know, because for them, it's less just like going down the Rolodex to, to the next person because there's a lot of people doing it. There's, you know, there's not that many people, you know, doing doing what we do. And, you know, so for for people who are musicians looking to do film stuff, it's it's very handy and musicians just feel more comfortable knowing that they can send you a score and say i messed up on like beat five of measure 2005 and you're like got it we won't show you there you know so that that's definitely been a huge asset yeah that's awesome well you definitely started a, a micro trend at least that i've noticed which is there are all of a sudden a bunch of percussionists teaming up and starting their own production companies. <laughs> How do you feel about that? And everyone looks up to you. I, I view it as less of a trend that we had anything to do with and more of just like a trend of percussionists as a whole. Like, like I always think this too, it's, it's always, it always seems to be the percussionist who's the one who like figured everything out and like set up the audio gear and knew how to do the stuff in uh, like the, the max patch and knew how to, you know, it's always the percussionist who somehow has to like always figure out the extra things on top of just their instrument. And I feel like it just like goes back to, you know, orchestral writing where it's like, oh, uh, if we have, a, there's a gunshot and they, they're not going to have the flute player play it. You know, it's like, of course it's going to be the percussionist or it's like, oh, we need to have a clown horn or, or something that's not normally in the purview of a percussionist. And it's like, oh, well, they'll do it. You know, just give it all to them. It's fine. And so I feel like it's it's very much a percussion overall trend that percussionists are like the ones who are like, yeah, I can do that, you know, and and kind of have, and it's branched into video now as well. So I, I yeah, I look at it as less of something that we had anything to do with necessarily, maybe being bashful, but it, it's, yeah, I think it, it's just a trend of percussionists as a whole. No, it was you guys. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, cool. Okay, so now we move on to some of these more nitty gritty questions, which are for folks who do want to take uh, the reins, you know, in their life and, and figure out how to do some of this. So we had this three situation, uh, thing that I sent you, which is how would you approach these three different scenarios? So A, you have no budget, but say you have a phone and a computer that function. B, you have $1,000 to produce something and C, you have $10,000. So what are the best ways to spend our resources? You make a killer video. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really interesting question. Um, I feel like, so I guess like as the, budgets expand um it definitely doesn't feel like 
problems just magically get solved. Um, there's, um, it's actually like everything just kind of relatively comes up together. And so like um, the problems just get a little bit bigger and like, but you, the, the production just becomes a little bit bigger in general. So, you, um, which is also helpful. So like pretty much as soon as we know that maybe like a bigger budget comes in than the last one that we did, our first instinct is like, who else can we come like to help us out with this shoot? Like who else can we bring on as crew? And so um, like Kevin and I aren't making any extra money. It's more like how can just the production get better as a whole? And that also applies to like gear, like rentals. Um, like we have in-house stuff, but um, another like one of our immediate questions is like, what could we rent for this that would make it look even better? Um, and so once again, that money isn't coming to us. It's just going into um, the project. Um, and then a big one, I think, is the um, location. Location is huge. And like location can do the heavy lifting for a lot of videos. And so um, like there have definitely been projects where like at least 50 or 75% of the budget has gone into the location just because we feel so strongly that like this location is going to make this video awesome. And we might sacrifice a bunch of other things to make that location work. Um, and so it all just kind of scales from there. So if we have zero money, it's pretty much that like, we don't have any help, so we're doing it all ourselves. <laughs> um, we can't rent any gear. And so we're using all of our in-house gear. Um, we can't afford a location. So maybe we do it at our home studio or we go outside somewhere where maybe it's like, like we've done a shoot on my in my parents' backyard um, where it's like free. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, we just, we can't like funnel money into any of those other things. Um, and I think for the zero budget version, um, that can mean that it um, sometimes becomes just a little bit more like editing heavy versus like shooting day heavy. I think some of the times when we've been working on really tight budgets, it's like the project has shifted into maybe it's like a, stop motiony thing or maybe we buy like some stock stuff and we're like overlaying interesting textures or like it comes it becomes less about a big shooting day with a lot of people and gear and locations but it just becomes a lot more like just kevin and me and a computer or whatever um so that was my thought but kevin feel free to yeah pretty much pretty much the same it's just kind of the more money you have and this isn't always true but the more money you have you know the more this isn't true at all, but I'm just gonna say it anyway. The more like, it can give you some more flexibility. Yeah, I, yeah, more money, more problems. But it's like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, but that's not always true. Sometimes money does solve problems. <laughs> um, and so, so, you know, if it's like, oh, you wanna shoot into a window and it's like, most people just look at that and they're like, oh, great, it's gonna look great. And it's like, no, it looks great to your eye, but to a camera, it's gonna look awful, you know, cause, if you want to shoot it at high noon, you know, looking out a window, it's going to come burning through in the camera. You're not, you're going to be silhouetted if you don't want the whole window to just be completely white and blown out and no information in your image. So it's like, okay, well, if we still want to shoot there. Well, it's like, okay, well, now we have two grand or something. So it's like, okay, well, we can rent a really powerful light to try to match the sun inside so we can balance our exposure. You know, it lets us, so that's like somewhere where it actually does solve a problem. But um, yeah, it just kind of lets us expand a little bit yeah we can bring in another collaborator if we wanted to work with a dancer if we wanted to do you know something something like that or, or work with some kind of other artist you know we can we can expand the project a little bit and like evan said it um 
or we or we you know, spend a lot of it on the location um like we did with the one in the in the ship where that was pretty much the entire budget and i think some of our own money too uh into the location to then um to then uh you know be able to do that and we sacrificed ourselves too because it was like an eight it was it was absolutely bonkers in there and it was very painful but it was cool and so yeah so we can you can sink money into that that kind of stuff um it just kind of helps overall but yeah i like the comment about the collaborators too because i feel like the more money the higher on the wish list we can reach out to collaborators an example that comes to mind is the um some Lux music video we did recently where um like we needed a dancer slash mover in the video and um one of our favorite if not maybe our favorite dancer to work with and choreographer kyle marshall um like we just as soon as we know we have the money to hire somebody like that we just like want to hire them and so we can just kind of like yeah move a little higher up on the wish list of people like the dream team that we want to assemble for the project um yeah that's awesome that's awesome um so speaking of finances what was the smallest budget that you've ever worked with and what was the big, biggest if that's something you can disclose i mean the smallest is probably nothing <laughs> um we can relate to that <laughs> yeah i mean yeah um i mean we've definitely had some projects where we like love the track and we like really fall in love with an idea for it you know and we're like like this these fit too perfectly together and you know they just don't have much at all you know and it's like okay and so in those instances sometimes we're just like Cause then it's just like, it becomes half of like our creative baby and half of their creative baby. So we end up putting a little bit of skin in the game for that. It's not usually ideal, you know, since we are trying to eat, but um, you know, sometimes that happens. Attempts, so, Attempts have been <laughs> recorded. <laughs> and so, um, so yeah, so that's, that's always a nice thing to do, but um, that's not super, super common. So those are probably our lowest. Um, and then probably, our highest, it 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 very it definitely varies quite a bit because um, like it can be a high budget, but you look at the budget and you're like, and you realize that like seventy five percent of that budget is going out, you know. So so it's like we're we're working with the Curtis Opera um, coming up for for their opera in in November, and so it's just like a 12 day shoot, you know, it's a full thing. They're renting out the Prince Theater in Philadelphia. It's, it's a huge, huge thing. And so it's definitely our biggest budget that we've worked with, but you know, we look at the number and it's like, wow. But then it's like, we're getting none of that. Like that's literally <laughs> going to everyone else because you have to staff up so huge for those kinds of projects, which is kind of new territory for us. And so, um, yeah, so it can kind of, it, it, it's very, you know, it can vary wildly in terms of, in terms of the budget, but it's kind of the same concepts across the board though, you know, that we're working with to try to, to try to figure it out. So you mentioned a lot of times previously uh, that you draw your inspiration from pop culture. We already said hello to the queen, Billie Eilish, uh, and the world of cinema. <laughs> so yes, horns, <laughs> uh, rock on. But uh, what, what are some recent videos that have blown your mind that you'd recommend to us? Um, one that was super inspiring to me recently, um, there's this directing duo called Rubber Band. Um, stylized lowercase rubber band, I think maybe with a period at the end. Um, 
but we've been um, a fan of just the format of kind of like visual albums for a while, um, kind of going back to like Beyonce's like Lemonade is a big one for us. Um, we just love that world. Um, it feels like the perfect mix of like what we want to see in film and music combining. Um, and I uh, just watched this film that Rubber Band made with this um, hip hop artist from, I think Montclair, New Jersey. So pretty close by um, Topaz Jones called Don't Go Telling Your Mama. Um, and it's just super stunning. And honestly is um, I think a really interesting answer to the, um, what we were talking about before of like the pace of TikTok and all that stuff versus kind of the, the longer form because they actually found this really interesting format where they go through the alphabet. So it's like A to Z um, each letter and they basically come up with a like visual concept that starts with the first letter of, of that letter in the alphabet. Um, and so the film is like about 30 minutes long, but it goes through A to Z. And so you're never on a concept for longer than, you know, a minute ish or less. Um, and so it's like technically a long form kind of like half hour thing, but you never get bored because it's just this like really interesting, like I'm um, just kind of going through the alphabet. Um, also shot by a cinematographer, Chase Irvin, who for me might be my favorite cinematographer. Um, just really interesting, um, framing and lighting and um so that was a big one that stuck out to me recently of like that's what i want to do like <laughs> it just was the perfect combination of um so many things that i like seeing and like the combination of music and, and film um so that was a big one for me yeah so similar line with uh like what evan was saying with with like lemonade and and those kinds of things with samfa has another one that was just amazing and they're just like these visual albums but they're only like 30 minutes and what's so interesting to me about them is that they're so like um on uh, what's the word like just not sacred with the music at all it's almost like they just give it to the filmmakers and they just chop it up like like they re they represent like the whole album but there might be like one representation of the track where they literally just take the guitar line and they just play it and then at the very last like at the end of like some beautiful cinematic thing they're just like you hear like the drums maybe come up for a second and then that track's over and it doesn't sound like what the track actually is but they just give it to the filmmaker and they're like just make like a cool film and it, it becomes more of a score for what they're doing as opposed to like oh like this is the music video and here's the song in its entirety enjoy you know it's more like an experience so we we're both like huge fans of of that kind of a that kind of a thing and so we've we've gotten lucky with like a couple things where we've been able to 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 play around with those kinds of ideas and those are always like our most ideal but um personally for me just yesterday i watched um the trailer for paul thomas anderson's new film um licorice pizza which looks awesome and i am a huge paul thomas anderson fan so i went back down another PTA hole with uh with the master I watched the master again the other day and inherent vice just down in the backgrounds I just love all of his movies and they're so beautifully filmed so that's been my latest obsession that's awesome great recommendations for for the rest of us thank you um so have you ever considered doing a long-form feature film or a documentary you're gonna do an opera now that's obviously very long but too long if you ask me but what about what about feature film or or not wedding style documentary yeah i mean um so kevin has shot a feature film before i've never done that um kind of like a narrative feature film um 
kind of in the genre that we were just talking about, about the visual album, we did a project, um, I guess mostly last year uh, with Jean Lorenz, who's a trumpet player and um, super great. Also very similar in, uh, influences as us, lots of like Billie Eilish and Beyonce like references getting tossed around. And so that one I think ended up being around half an hour, but it was like fully like narrative. There was a story and there wasn't any performance footage. It was um, very much like kind of our, our stab at a short film kind of um, format. Um, and there have been a few doc documentary projects that have come along, but none have been kind of feature film length. They've, um, I think some have gotten into like the 20-ish minute, 20 to 25 minute range. Um, uh, we did one with the Trisha Brown Dance Company here in Philly that I think was roughly around that time. But um, in terms of like feature, you know, 70 to 90 minutes ish, I think Kevin's the only one that has uh, experience with that with that format. It was a long time ago, though, and it was uh, and yeah, so that was that was a first stab at that. But it was very informative in terms of the absolute madness that comes with doing that kind of a thing. But um, yeah, yeah, I I, I think. I think like like we were just saying, like, you know, the whole like 30 minute, 40 minute out, uh, visual album is something that we're really interested in. Um, and yeah, the opera that we're doing, I think it will be like 60 minutes or something. So that'll definitely be probably the longest thing that that we've done. But, you know, that's and it is going to be full film, you know, world. We're not just like setting up cameras and, and watching them perform it for camera. Like it's going to be a full just like an actual movie that's what it's that's what's going to be so um so yeah I, I think i think if the opportunity ever presented itself i'm sure we would be very intrigued but um yeah i don't know that's awesome i will volunteer to recreate but a 40 minute version of beyonce's hold up so if we find me a yellow dress and a bat and i can smash a lot of cars and i'll hire you for the for the best amount of money I can afford. So yeah, we can back that. Tell us when. Tell us when we'll be there. Yeah, the podcast will back that. You got it. Yeah, there you go. They're gonna. Th we're gonna throw all of our money into this. You'll you'll take all of our annual makings. Going back to the budget scaling question, like the more money we have, the more cars Beyonce can run over with a monster truck. Really, is is what that. Yes. <laughs> there on, it is. On our, that's what's on our rate sheet. That's what that's what it says. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, okay, cool. So we're we're about to wrap up here. It really feels like it has flown just flew by, and and uh, we barely got to scratch the surface. But thank you so much for sharing. Um, and we have learned how your music has informed your filmmaking. But what about the other way around? How has your filmmaking informed your music ambitions? Um, I I think for me. Um, the time like behind the camera is really nice as just like a reset, like step away from, from music making. Um, I feel like in our kind of niche of like filming a lot of music that we personally just like, like contemporary classical music and um, that kind of thing. Um, I feel like our film productions are close enough to the kind of music that I like that I still am like inspired and like by the, the music and the people and like the just kind of like the overall vibe of it um but it's far enough away from like literally being behind a drum set or um like writing something that it still feels like a a step away um and so i actually like really um 
just appreciate the perspective that that little bit of like I like alternating back and forth because I, I feel like when we're like really in the thick of a stretch of like a ton of like 410 shoots like all I want to do is just like go thrash on my drums and then like when I go on a tour with Square Peg like I have all these visual ideas and I just want to get back and start filming stuff and I really like having that um both of those opportunities to just like step away from the thing and get a little perspective and get inspired by different things than when you're just in the thick of it so um yeah i think that's how the film kind of plays into the music for me is it gives me a second to kind of see it from a different lens literally um and yeah it just gives me that second to to step away yeah and similar similar for me too i'm not doing as much performing as evan or writing as evan but um it's just a different it's just a different mindset honestly i should do it i should do it more because it does it kind of just gives you a refreshing perspective and then you kind of come out of it and you go back in um but it's also just like a very you know because most of the stuff we're doing is not live you know it's like we're filming it and then it's like that went wrong it's like eh, just do it again you know it's fine um and so there is like some there is like a little bit of a nice uh finality to like just being like all right i just played this it's done now, you know, so there's like something nice about that, that you don't have quite as much um, when you're behind the camera. Um, and uh, so that can be kind of a nice thing. But in terms of in terms of creatively, I think it just it just bleeds into both so much because, yeah, now Evan and I both we listen to a lot of the same music that we like to film you know and so it becomes very synchronous of like oh i heard this track and this i had this idea that's super cool and then like we just wait for the track that someone comes to us for and we're like yeah sure that this could work there you know so um it definitely helps both ways well thank you so much for 10 thank you Evan. thank you kevin for being our guests it was such a pleasure to have you on the show um thank you carly thank you ben thank you casey thank you robin for coming in and uh you know straightening up casey a little bit telling us he had the hiccups yeah that's important yeah the pickups the pickups yeah, the pick right. yeah. <laughs> there you go thanks everyone really wonderful to chat with you all and we'll see you on the next episode in the meantime go check out our patreon page and uh, all of that good stuff thanks see so you much. soon thanks Bye. guys did I mess up your outro there? Totally. I'm so sorry. We have to repeat from, <laughs> hi, my name is Ksenia Kumlin. <laughs> like no, child prodigy. Go back. <laughs> child prodigy. Yeah, the, pro yes. the prodigy debate. I like that. I feel like I spoke directly over your last line. No, why don't you say what you want to say? And I'll, oh. you'll see my wonderful video editing skills. <laughs> Go. <laughs> say it. Thanks. Thank you. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> Evan, can you say thank you also? <laughs> Thanks. You have to use that Seriously, one so they have yeah. no context. Yeah. So it has uh, to be. Yeah, there's yeah. your Instagram clip for the week, just Evan going. <laughs> 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 this is all we needed. This is all we needed.